listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. It's not like it used to be when we were kids. The pressures, the expectations, the uncertainty. It seems like being young grows more difficult each year. And being a parent comes with an ever-increasing level of anxiety. God, as a new school year begins, we ask for your hand to rest on the shoulders of our children. May your presence be palpable, your wisdom accessible, and your glory undeniable. We pray you would guard their hearts, guide their steps, and keep them safe. As they walk the halls, may their eyes be fixed on you. When they're overwhelmed, grant them peace. And when they're uncertain, grant them understanding. Thank you for entrusting us with your creation. Now, as they go back to school, we entrust them to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I I appreciate that prayer for our students and our families going back to school a lot. And I probably even feel it to some degree even more just because, you know, we sent our youngest of four kids, uh, Owen, off to college this week. And so he moved into Missouri Southern down there in Joplin. And and I think uh, he's attending, obviously, a church down there today, which means he's not here at Northside with us for the first time. (laughs) So... uh, that's kind of how we're feeling about it, you know, and people said, you know, oh, you're, it's the empty nest. You're in the empty nest. And this is, this is going to be a, you know, this could be a good time for you to reconnect with your wife and all that. So uh, we took him down on Thursday and uh, no, I'm not just in disagreement. It's just, it just didn't work out that way. At least not yet, because on Friday she went to a retreat. So I got in late Friday night and I'm like, empty nest meant like me and Sam it was me and the dog. And that's not. That's more empty than I even had in mind. So, you know, we're in the transition and praying for our kids as well. It could be an incredible time of growth and maturity and even faith in the Lord. Uh, it can be that for our kids that are in school. And we really, three of our four kids are now in school because our oldest daughter, who's 25, went back to school. Um, she's in her clinicals for to be a nurse anesthetist. So we got three kids in school and I know a lot of you do as well. And, uh, some of you are going to be taking those first day of school pictures tomorrow. Uh, some of you on Tuesday, maybe I know a few of you probably already did, uh, which just means I know how it goes. You know, your kids are running a little behind, they feel rushed and then you're forcing them to take pictures. And so then they're in a bad mood when they get to school on their first day. And so I know how it goes. Um, but I also know that your hearts and your prayers are, are with your kids right now, but also, in addition to that, uh, our prayers are with the staff of our schools. And uh, we're going to pray for all of our staff right now who are serving our kids in, in the many school districts across this area. So here's what I want. I'm, I'm going to ask a few of you, to, uh, those of you to stand who are staff in schools, and because uh, we're going to pray over you. 
And that means if, you, if you're an administrator or a para or a support staff or special services or counselors, coaches, teachers, transportation directors, maybe you're on a school board, whether it's in public school or private school or homeschool, I want you to stand right now. Just go ahead and stand. And we want to pray over you. So go ahead and do it. I know you don't want to, but just stand up because we want to pray over you. And uh, pray God's strength to you. And stay standing so we can do that. And I know I, my, my own wife is in this category too, so I've got personal investment as well. But before we pray over you, can we just express our appreciation of those standing across this room right now? Just thank God for you. Mm -hmm. We are incredibly grateful to you. And that's that's why we want to pray over you right now, because it's not just the gratitude for that, but I know that your responsibilities are, can be incredibly hard and messy and challenging and frustrating with many expectations, demands, needs, and yet it can be incredibly, it's why you do it, rewarding and fulfilling, a way to, to serve in, in ways that you always felt led and called by God to do. So uh, we just want to pray for you. So here's what I want to do. If you're family or you're a friend and you see someone standing and you're like your family or you're their friend, if you could just go up to them right now and just stand up with them, join them, but put a hand on their shoulder to pray over them. And, and if you don't know them or you're not family or friends, I don't want any stranger danger happening. We're just going to, uh, we're just going to extend our hand out towards them. If you have someone standing near you, that's an education. We're, we're going to extend our hands out. This is how we're laying on of hands. We're going to pray for them right now. And so just extend your hand towards someone near you. And I'm going to pray. So heavenly father, Lord Jesus, you were a teacher. You were full of grace and truth. And Lord, we pray that you would fill our school staff with grace and truth. You were full of wisdom. And we pray that you would give them wisdom. And just as you did not come to be served, but to serve, I pray that you give them a heart for service. Strengthen them today for the task that you've given them of educating and shaping and impressing these precious lives. Lord, we pray that your presence would sustain them through whatever challenges they face. May they grow in knowledge and skill and character and competency. Give them compassion to engage students who are hurting and struggling and wounded and broken. Lord, we pray that you would give them vision so they can see that preferable future that awaits these students who need direction and growth and maturity. May they have your eyes to see students walking into their classrooms, into these fields, onto these courts, into these buildings, so that they know best how to equip them to navigate this world and to educate and grow. And I just pray, Lord, for these staff and teachers, you would bless them, you would fill them, you would lead them, you would direct them, you would use them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Thank you. I appreciate that opportunity to pray over you. And, and, um, and this is a big season that we're entering into. But I, I, want to, uh, I want to start with a question today. And the question is this. Do you know who you are? Now that's a pretty important question because... Some have said this, that how you perceive yourself, how you see yourself, it governs the way that you act, think, the things that you say. Like, it it directs the course of your life. Do you know who you are? 
Like if someone said, do you know who you are? I'd be like, yeah, I'm Wayne Bushnell. And then they would probably say what a lot of people say, oh, like the scope, the binocular Bushnell. And I'd only just say, yeah, just like that. You know, that's a, you know, I'd have some fun with it. My grandpa never said that. His response from, from what I remember was always this, because they would do the same thing to him. William Bushnell, Bill Bushnell. Oh, like the scope, the binocular. He's like, uh, unfortunately, we're the side of the family that invented the submarine that sank. But anyway, and they would laugh. And I think half the time they had no clue. He actually meant like, no, like David Bushnell was a real person who he invented underwater explosives. He was known as the, the father of submarine warfare. And in 1776, when the British were coming in, he invented this Bushnell turtle and it underwater. I guess you have to study it to learn. But anyway, it was kind of tough and got under a British ship and they tried to drill the hole unsuccessfully and supposedly somehow drifted away and an explosive went, nothing happened. And and then uh, they put this Bushnell turtle on a transport ship and apparently the British sunk the ship and the Bushnell turtle went down with the ship. So true story. I mean, he wasn't lying. Uh, That's like, I guess in family history, supposedly Bushnell uh, family, but that, that was kind of, but, but when I say, do you know who you are? I'm not talking about the surname. I'm not talking about family history, we're, we're going to go a lot deeper than that. Like, do you know who you are? And this question is important because Michael DeFazio in his book, more Jesus says that some would say that how we perceive ourselves governs everything we say, think, and do. And so we see it play out all the time. If you consider yourself not to be very smart or uneducated, you are less likely to give an opinion in public. Now, on the other hand, if you think that you're an athlete or that you're someone who takes care of your body, you are more likely to go to the gym and exercise. If you see yourself as an entrepreneur and a risk taker, then you are more likely to try new things. If you think you got rhythm, you're more likely to do a TikTok video. It's just the way it goes. Or maybe join a dance group or maybe a music group. And the question becomes this, does anything motivate us more thoroughly than identity? Who we think we are, it, it largely determines who we become. So who are you? We use so many descriptors about who we are. Like, we identify ourselves by classes. You know, like black, white, Hispanic, rich, poor, middle class, Democrat, Republican, young, old, married, single, widowed, balding. That's a big category that's growing in our church. Tigers, eagles, Indians, hornets. We just identify ourselves with classes or by occupation, what we do, our possessions, what we have, our accomplishments, what we did. We identify ourselves by social sciences, our personality, our geographic location. By, you know, where, where are we on the color code? You know, Enneagram number. What animal do we identify with? Sex, gender. Descriptors can be helpful, but the problem is your true identity is not found in you. 
That's especially a problem in our culture today. It's not found in you. Your identity is found in who God has identified you to be. The best place to begin constructing your identity is in Christ. That's where Scripture begins. And that's what we're going to look at today because in in the book of Colossians, if you have a, a Bible or device, open up to the book of Colossians where Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, a, a church that he didn't start or plant. And as far as we know, Paul never went there. He never visited them. It was a man by the name of Epaphras who had learned from Paul who went to Colossae and started a couple churches there. And Paul's sending this letter, and he's going to talk a lot through the book of Colossians. You're going to see it come up over and over again. In fact, in a lot of Paul's writings, it does, about identity. Like 216 times in Paul's New Testament letters, he talks about how our identity is in Christ. Like that's who you are. And it's what he's writing about. My core identity is not the name on the back of the jacket. It's not Bushnell. It's not Scott, Jones, or Smith. It is, it's Christ. Like Christ Jesus, he was our creator in Genesis chapter 1. He made us. And Christ Jesus is our redeemer in Colossians chapter 1. He saved us. And because of that, Colossians 1.27 goes on and to say, Therefore, Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. When you are a believer in Jesus Christ, everything you do, everything you say, everything you think, everything that you are, it is wrapped up in him. He is that identifier for you. And the scriptures proclaim it loud and clear for us. So I want us to look at this together. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. We're going to start just two verses here really quick because we're going to spend the next 15 weeks in the book of Colossians. And we're going to be discovering what Paul is emphasizing here, which is more Jesus, more Jesus, more Je- I think we all could use a little more Jesus. And so we're going to get that. But look at these first two verses, Colossians 1, 1 through 2. Here's what we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you, from God our Father. Paul begins by already talking about their identity, who they are. You are holy. You are set apart. That means you are different. You're different. That is your identity because you are in Christ. That's who you are. It's the same theme that Jesus himself would say in Revelation 3.12 when Jesus tells us, I will write on them a new name, the name of My God, I will write on them a new name. I give them a new name. The letter jacket, what we have on us is God, Christ. It doesn't mean I am a God. It doesn't mean I I am God. It means that I am in Christ. I am in God. He has made his home in me. He is my identifying mark. That's who it is. That's who he is. I'm, I'm in Christ. That's the descriptor that Paul used. He establishes our identity that we're in Christ, receiving a new name. Going back in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to be set apart from the nations around them. And those people, they were to build their lives, not on the lies and the idolatry and the injustice. God's people wanted them to be different. He wanted his people to be different. As Mike DeFazio says, he says, others serve human kings, but they were to serve God alone. Others oppressed the poor, but they were to provide justice. They were to be a a counter-cultural presence. 
an alternative. Or they were to be a contrast to the community. This is who they were to be. And knowing who you are, it's just crucial to, especially when you're not like everyone else, we're to live different, think different, be different. You've been set apart in every way. And so Paul emphasizes this point. He's like, look, to the people of Colossae, geographically you're in Colossae, but fundamentally you're in Christ. And he could say the same of us. You know, geographically we're in Missouri, but fundamentally we are in Christ. That's what defines us. And one of the biggest challenges we have right now is in problems is that we live in a culture that embraces elective identity. And it's not like just something that's out there in the culture. Like this is a temptation for each and every single one of us. Our identity becomes what we come up with personally. The world says you, the individual, you are the ultimate arbiter of what is true about yourself. And you should find your identity in your blend of wants and desires and perceptions by your feelings, your preferences, your attractions. You you should identify who you are by your own emotions, whether that is sexually or politically, whether it's your gender, your sex, your biology. Our culture wants to make those things, those feelings, those desires, those attractions, they want to make it like the capital letters of your life. Like that is who you really are. And that's been the temptation of Satan from the very beginning is that we make who we feel or what we think, who we are. That's what the world is saying. And we do this in so many ways. We, we say, I am this, like I am that. It can be that I'm straight or I'm LGBTQ plus or I'm a sex addict or I am an alcoholic or I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am whatever. You can fill in the blank. But Paul says, for every one of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's only one identity that matters, and that identity is in Christ Jesus. You are wholly set apart. You're different. You're in Christ. That is your identity. Let that name be the name that you wear. It governs what you think, say, and do. That your identity rests in who God says you are, not in your desires or your urges or your temptations or anything else. And that's one of the reasons I love with our Celebrate Recovery ministry that we have here at Northside on Monday nights. One of the things I love is even how they do their testimonies. I remember a couple of years ago, Heather, who leads that ministry, she was giving a testimony on video for all of us here in our church, and she was just sharing how they give testimonies. And here's one thing she said in that video. She, she said uh, of herself uh, that, she, that when she does her testimony, she starts off like this. She says, hi, my name is Heather, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with alcohol, drug, and sexual addiction. The reason we introduce ourselves this way, she says, is because I'm a believer and our identity is in Christ, the one and only higher power. Then we go on to say, who struggles with. Our struggle is not our identity. Our struggles are our hurts, hang-ups, habits, sins. We've all been hurt. In fact, she says two-thirds of people who attend CR meetings attend for other issues such as codependency, grief, financial recovery, depression, self-injury, control, anger, perfectionism, eating disorders, and the list goes on. And so we would say this, that I, I may struggle with that. I may be attracted to that. I may have desires for that, but that doesn't define my identity. Your identity is in Christ. 
He's the one who shapes who you are, what you believe, how you behave and think. So in other words, you can look at it this way. All humans have attractions and desires that don't always align with God's will. Every single one of us. God is not the author of every desire, even if we feel that we're born with that desire. Our identity is in who God has made us to be. And that is true for each and every single one of us. We all have these attractions, these desires that don't always align with God's will. He's not the author of every desire, even if we feel that we're born with that desire. Our identity is in who God has made us to be. The fact is, Satan twists even good desires that God gives us. He twists those in ways so that they are used in hurtful ways. But we read Colossians, and God says, no, you are made in my image. That image has been marred through sin. But here's the good news. Christ will give you a new name. He will put his identity on you. And then what he's doing is he's changing us from what we were to what we are, from guilty to forgiven, from sinner to saint, from lost to saved, from refuse to redeemed, from defeated to conqueror. Jesus includes the excluded. He reconciles the separated. He joins the alienated is what he does. He calls us to live differently. That means your past does not define you. Your past and poor choices or hurt or experiences don't define you. No, it doesn't for this reason. Look at Colossians 3 verse 3 where we read this, for you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Like there was a moment in time when when you died. When you believed that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and God and you repented of those sins. And as Romans 6 describes for us, he says, Don't you know, all of you were baptized into Christ. You were buried with him through his death. Like you died with Jesus, but you also died to your sins. And he says, anyone who has died in Romans 6 has been free from sin. When you die to yourself in a moment of surrender, you're freed from sin. In Colossians 3, you're now hidden with Christ in God. The sins don't define you. Christ defines you. He is your identity. And when that happens, you're raised to new life. You get to experience new life. And when that happens, you experience the victory of what new life brings. You experience that resurrection power that Jesus wants to give to your life. That's what it looks like to be hidden with Christ, in God, new identity. Because outside of Christ, my sin is what defines me, right? So let's just do this as an example. Anyone in here who's ever lied, raise your hand if you have lied. Okay, just everybody raise your hand or else we're gonna have to just call you out and say you're a liar. I don't wanna do that. There's no reason for that, okay? So if you have lied, that means you are a... That's how Satan wants it, us to believe it, is that you are a liar. How, how many of you have ever stolen? You've, taken, you've stolen something that just was not yours. And so probably every hand should raise in some way. And if you've stolen, that makes you a, a thief. And so Satan wants you to believe that that is what you are. And how many of you have ever lusted? Every, everybody raise your hand or else it gets awkward. Just raise your hand. Yes, and so that makes you a lusterer. And uh, Jesus would say that means you've committed adultery in your heart. But these things become the very things that at times could identify as sin becomes that way. How many of you have ever been greedy? 
we all raise our hands and the Bible says, well, that means you're an idolater. So that means that this church in this very moment, right here, right now, is filled with liars and thieves and adulterers and idolaters. Apart from Christ, that's who you are. And we begin to think that's who we are. But in Christ, in Christ Jesus, we are hidden with Christ in God. And we are not those things. That's not who we are. No, who we are has been defined for us by Jesus. We get a new identity. Apart from Christ, we're not. Satan wants to make us feel like that's what we are, but we're not. Craig Rochelle, he says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. This is why your identity is so important. Who you perceive yourself to be, it will shape who you are. It will govern what you think, say, and do. And this is why Paul is writing this book to these people of Colossae. It's one of the reasons why is because he's in a place that he had never visited before. But we have people in this place that were mixing Jesus with other stuff, mixing Jesus with other religious elements, mixing Jesus with some people with ancient Judaism. And the two were coming, they were trying to mix the two together. Some were mixing Jesus with a pinch of folk spirituality. Some, as Michael DeFazio says, were mixing Jesus with a dash of Roman propaganda mixed in there. Like they were bringing in a little bit of their political history into Jesus. So Paul is using the book of Colossians to just give them more Jesus. Michael DeFazio says it this way. He says, Paul's aim is to outflank all spiritual, religious, and political competitors by fixing their gaze laser style on the complete sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus is literally everything we need. What we need is not more of that. What we need is more Jesus. We just need more Jesus. And so for the next 15 weeks, from today, August 20th to November 26th, you're, we're just going to get more Jesus. And what we're going to see is that we, we don't need more than Jesus. All we need is more Jesus. Who we are and what we look like is defined by Jesus. I want to give you an example of this where Paul again comes back to who we are people who are holy, set apart. I want us to read this text together. It's Colossians 3, 12 to 14. It's on the screen here so you can follow along as, as I read this. But this is who you are. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy people, and dearly loved people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And what you have right here in this verse is not just a list. It's not a list. This is a vision. This is a dream of what it looks like when people who identify themselves with Christ and they are set apart and holy and different. This is what you look like. And I just want us to go through this and look at, at who you are in Christ. You're not liar. You're not thief. You're not adulterer. You're not idolater. This is who you are in Jesus. We are different. We are very different. What would happen, as Michael DeFazio says, when we're in a culture where many Christians or churches are known for being judgmental, anti-gay, and pawns of political power, he says, how might the world change if our churches instead became known for who he's made us to be? We're different. So here's some things that make us different. 
First of all, we have a different identity. Our identity is in Christ. Above and beyond anything and everything else, we're in Christ. Number two, we have a different love. In those verses that we read, those three verses, love bookends it. Those of you who are dearly loved because of that, put on love, which binds all these things together in perfect unity. Like, love bookends this because love is the binder that binds everything we do together. It's kind of like in cooking, how you hear, there's certain certain foods that are like binders in cooking, and they make it more moist, and they, they bind it together, becomes more fluffy or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't cook. So it's just, I read it one time. Okay, so they got, so things like flour and eggs, they, they're called binders in cooking. When it comes to who Jesus made us to be, love is the binder that holds all this other stuff together and makes it so good. That makes it so wonderful. It's kind of like when your grandma said, you know, it was made with love. She even tried, it wasn't just made with the binder of flour and egg, but she's like, it was made with love. Like I did this for you. And I understand that because when we have the whole family over at our house and my wife's in there cooking something or whipping something, slaving away in that moment, you're like, clearly she loves them because why, who else, why would anyone want to do that? Like what she's doing right now. And so it's, there's some love there. It binds it together. In fact, that love is what sets you apart, makes you different. When Corey was in North Africa with his family and they were talking with a guy, we're going to call him O, and they were talking with O, who formerly uh, was a Muslim. He was in Islam. He had come out of that. He was converted from that. He had become disillusioned with Islam and, in fact, had become what he would describe as an atheist. But after an interaction he had with some believers who he said were followers of Jesus who obeyed Jesus, He said, after he had an interaction with them, he said he experienced something he had never experienced before, that there was this key characteristic that made a difference for him, a difference in his life. And he says, these people had a different kind of love. That's how he described it. He said, no one loved me like these believers, these Christians loved me. And through that, he got to know the love of Jesus. So, Paul would say, you're dearly loved, so put on love in the way that you treat others. And the way, when we put on love, the way we treat others helps them see that they're dearly loved by God. God will use you. Love is that thing that binds it together. I, I remember many years ago that Jonna McKinnis, she's a member here in our church, and she was talking about how their extended family started coming to Northside. And one thing she got into was uh, her husband Mark's uh, grandfather had passed away. And a small group helped minister and care for some of their family that was here at Northside during that time. And other families saw that love and saw how they were being cared for and started like, I'm going to start going to that church. But here's something that John has said that, that always stuck with me. She said, um, they, and we, it's like, we knew about the building. Like they knew about the, the church, the church building. They knew about the building, but they didn't know about the people. Like there's a lot of people here in this northern part of Springfield that know about this building. Like they drive by it on H Highway. But they don't know about the church. They don't know about the people. They don't know about the deep love that is shown on a daily basis through this place. And when they experienced that, it was a different kind of love. So we got a different identity. We have a different love. We should have that. It's powerful. We also have number three, we have a different kind of compassion. 
The kind of compassion that doesn't just bring you to tears, but the kind of compassion that moves from your gut to your hands. The kind of compassion that, that does something, that is moved, that in a world that's grown cold to human suffering, we cannot see other people suffering without sharing their pain deep in our souls. We feel it. It's one of the reasons why we've been asking our life groups and, and other people to participate with us this fall. And you'll be getting more information about this, but in a way in which, which we, we want to break up this area of Springfield into small sections that we can just adopt and, and say, man, we're going to go care on those people and love on those people and serve those people and pray for those people. And it's a way that we can actually show compassion for people. So we got a different compassion a different love, a different identity. Here's the fourth thing. We have a different kindness. We've got a different kind of kindness. Like kindness meaning not just not being mean, but the kindness that we do when we help those whom we have compassion for. We encourage them, those who are depressed. We listen to those who feel ignored. And we provide for those who are in, have needs. I'll give you an example of one of the ways we're wanting to do this right now. Is that it, we, we became aware this week of a community on the north side of Springfield, just north of our church here. There's about 29 homes, 100 plus people. They've been, already been without water for like over, I don't know, 16 days, 17 days now. They've been without water. They, a combination of water table dropping, well went out. It's 138,000 for this community well. Kids are starting school. They don't have running water. They're trying to come up with the funds and the money for this. They're struggling. There's a lot of people in that that are struggling to do that. So when we became aware of this, we said, you know, we want to try to help. I mean, the kindness, compassion in moments like this just says there's something we do to help so they can at least make sure that well gets, gets drilled. And uh, they're going to finance some of that well and stuff like that. But could we at least get them to the point where that thing's done and drilled and and so we said, well, we'd like to help. And so you probably got an email about this yesterday. So we're wanting to help with that. We're just calling it the North Water Project. So when you give today, just like you normally do at the boxes at the back of the room or, or online or through text to give, as you'll see later, one of the things you can do is on the memo line there, if you, even if you go to our website, northsidechristianchurch.net slash giving, and in that memo line, you can just put the Northside Water Project or relief, and we'll make sure funds get to them to help them get water there. It's that kind of kindness or compassion that serves our neighbors. That's what we're talking about. It's a different kindness. Or in that text, Paul says this, number five, we have a different humility. A different humility. Humility begins by thinking rightly of ourselves. That there's a God and you're not him. That's what humility is. Like It's thinking rightly. That you are wonderfully made, but you are not God. And so we think rightly, but then also it's this, it's not thinking of ourselves. Like it's, it's considering the needs of others. It's thinking of others. That's what humility does so that we can bless others in our life. And here's some signs that, that um, maybe you're, you're humble or not. Like ask yourself some questions like this. These are like some good diagnostic questions for humility. Am I quick to recognize and agree with God in confession when I sin? Am I quick to acknowledge and agree with God and confess it to him when I sin? Or am I quick to admit to others when I'm wrong? Am I quick to admit or do I want to not admit that? 
How about this? Do I rejoice when others are praised and recognized and my accomplishments go unnoticed or unmentioned? Do I still celebrate those who are being mentioned? Or how about this one? Do I esteem others as better than myself? Those are like some diagnostic. If I do, I'm showing signs of humility. If I don't, this is an area I need to grow. We should have a different kind of humility. Here's number six. We have a different gentleness and patience. Gentleness is a word that's used to describe a soothing wind, a healing medicine. My wife and I experienced this when we were in Phoenix, Arizona, helping move my son Nathan and his wife to Phoenix. It was 115, leaning 116 that day that we were there. We then flew out of there to West Virginia for a CTO retreat that we were going to help with. And we went up to the top of Snowshoe Mountain and we got out of the car and it was 59 degrees. And we're putting on our hoodie. The wind was blowing. Some mist was coming in. And we're like, oh, soothing. That felt nice. We did not mind at all. And those of you who are in the heat wave this week in Springfield, you would appreciate that well. Gentleness means that. It's soothing. Healing medicine. It can mean like a cult that's been broken. So it's power under control. Gentleness is soothing to others. We react to offenses with gentleness. When I respond harshly, I'm acting like I'm, I'm at the top of the kingdom. So we're gentle. And the word that goes with it is this word patience, which literally means long burning. It, it means literally long temper. And so I burn for a long time. I don't have a short fuse. That's patience. And when gentleness and patience are working together, it's It's different. Gentleness labels your approach, strength under control, rather than power gone wild. Patience describes how long this approach will last, which is as long as it takes. So we got a different kind of patience, different kind of gentleness. Here's something else. We have a different kind of forgiveness. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. Bear means to put up with. How many of you have some people you're, you have to put up with in your life right now? Maybe they're sitting next to you or sitting around you, near you. I didn't mean for you to raise your hand. That was earlier when I was calling you a liar. Don't, don't raise your hand now. This, you need to use discernment when you are being honest in church. So, um, no, actually, could raise, no, everybody should raise your hand. We, we all, right? We have people we have to put up with, bear with. I know sometimes maybe you heard someone say, you know, man, that... They did this and they did that. You know, you should never have that in the church. Well, have you arrived? Like, are we all perfect now, all of a sudden? No, we're going to have it in the church. That's why Paul says we have to bear with each other because we have preferences and feelings and emotions and we're all, we're growing in maturity. We're going to be more like Jesus. We've not arrived yet. So it's going to be there. So we bear with each other, but it's not just that. And we bear with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, all these things. But, but also in addition to that, we have to forgive. Both those words, bear with and forgive, are in present tense, which means it's ongoing. Like you don't do it once. You do it again and again and again. So we bear with and we forgive each other. Not one, not two times. Peter said, Jesus, you know, should I forgive my brother seven times? Like that was, he was doubling what the Pharisees required. And Jesus is like, how about 77? You got to forgive again. Just as the Lord continues to forgive us of our sins, we must forgive one another. 
of sins they commit against you. And we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks when we get to redemption and forgiveness. But maybe today you're sitting here and you're harboring some resentment towards someone. Maybe they said sorry and apologized, but you still need to extend forgiveness again. Maybe they didn't. You just need to release that to the Lord. Maybe, do you have a grievance toward someone? You see them and you just want to avoid them. You hear their name and it just, you know, inside. Maybe you want to see them get what's coming or find, you find joy in their hardship. There's a grievance that needs addressed. And perhaps today we need to confess to the Lord that, God, we need to forgive. We need a different kind of forgiveness that comes from Jesus when our, our identity is in him. And when we begin to see that our identity is in Christ, these become the things that define us, like who we are. We're, we're set apart. We're different for these things. And when that happens, like that's the win. You know, if there's a win in business, it's, it's defined by profit margin or bottom line. If there's a win in your family life, it means your, maybe your spouse feels supported or your kids feel loved or your family feels loved, whatever. But in life with God, we win. Anytime someone chooses compassion over cold-heartedness, kindness over inactivity, humility over pride, when we stoop down and serve in ways that you may even feel like it's beneath you, we, we, we win when we resist the urge to blow up at our families or other people or our fellow drivers or our co-workers. Instead, we take a deep breath and we respond with gentleness and, and a long view of patience. That's a win. When we, when we allow Christ to come over our broken desires and, and we manifest the life of heaven on earth, when we live according to Jesus, when we say yes to him, that's a win. Because here's why that's important. You become who you're becoming. You become who you're becoming. And we want to become who Christ has called us to be. And so I want to take a few moments right now for us to just spend some time reflecting and praying for God to do that in us. I want everybody just to stand to your feet right now. Let's stand to our feet as we stand before the Lord. And I want us just to spend some time reflecting on what God wants to do in us so that we can walk out of here today ready to obey and listen to who Christ is calling us to be. So I want us just to close our eyes right now. Let's just close our eyes, bow our heads, spend some time just personally with the Lord, reflecting on some things. As we do this, our, our prayer team will come down to the sides of the room and towards the front so they can begin to pray for you and with you today. But first, I want you to reflect on some things. Perhaps the key descriptors of your life that you allow to be spoken over you are not the words in Christ. It's someone else. It's something else. Perhaps it's rooted in your own feelings, desires, attractions, perceptions, occupations, political affiliations, whatever, but it's not Jesus. Well, today, right now, we want Jesus to speak over it all. So spend some time reflecting right now on what needs to be surrendered to the authority of Jesus so that your life is defined by him. Your life is identified by him. So let's take some time to just reflect on that now.
what's in the way. Perhaps your words, thoughts, actions don't match who you should be in Christ. There's a lack of forgiveness, a lack of kindness, a lack of gentleness, patience, humility, compassion, and love. Spend some time asking the Lord to reveal to you where where have you not been submitted to him so that you have a different kind of love. Perhaps today you've, you're not living as someone who has died and your life is not hidden in Christ. And so today could be the day that you humbly come and submit to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Savior of your life. It's His kindness that's leading you to repentance right now. And so you would come to give your life to His Lordship so you can experience forgiveness and healing and grace. Perhaps he's leading you to respond. And so, Lord, we just want to submit to you right now. Our desire is to allow you, Jesus, to speak your name over every area of our lives. Even as Greg Laurie said, can can we write, Hallowed be your name over everything in our lives. Lord, that's how we're to be different. Your name is on us, your name in us, us in you, your name over our speech and our actions and our public life and our private life and in our homework, community, neighborhood. It's the name of Jesus over it all. You have authority and power in our lives. And Lord, I just want to pray that we'd be that people set apart, holy, different. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, uh, I just want to say this, that we got a team ready to pray with you today on the side of the room down front here. They're praying with you, for you right now. They'd love to pray. Uh, I'm going to go over here to Decision Point. And maybe today you're here and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or you need in this moment to, to surrender to the Lord. And um, you're ready to believe and repent, be baptized into Christ. Maybe for you, you want to place membership in our church. I'd love to meet you right over here at Decision Point. If you're watching online, you can do that at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to make that happen. And then as you leave today, give to the Lord, give generously to the Lord as an act of kindness and worship for what he's given to you. And if you'd like to give to that water project, you can give to that as well. And, and let's just pray that the name of Jesus would just be spoken of our lives. Let's make that our prayer as we sing. I'll meet you right over here. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. 
If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.